For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. as uh, anybody that we could have found to uh, help us uh, take a look at what's going to happen on the floor tonight in Game 3 of the NBA Finals. When did they play Game 2? What year was that, uh, Louis? Game 2? <laughs> People have forgotten the song here, but uh, obviously it's huge in Boston, and I believe coming to us from Beantown, where he's an analyst uh, on uh, Nesson and uh, has been uh, a major sports figure in the Boston area for uh, many, many years as well. Uh, we welcome to the show uh, Scott Spinelli, who uh, coached at Boston College, played at Boston. I mean, uh, really has, I mean, uh, other than the statue of Larry Bird, probably the second most, most recognizable figure there. Uh, Scott, welcome to have you on the program. Uh, welcome to have you on the show. Thanks so much for being with us. Listen, thanks for having me, guys. This is one of my favorite shows with you guys. I still feel bad about that. NCAA weekend that I uh, we, we broke down. But listen, great to be here with yes. you guys. Well, you have nothing on Brent Musburger and his crew there in Action Sports or whatever it's called right now because uh, they, they have been on a dedicated program to bury America for a long, long time. And uh, we, we all make mistakes. Uh, that's why uh, we, we turn a page after uh, situations like that. And, uh, you know, we have five uh, more winners for you next week. Uh, that's for sure. Just yeah, follow our service at at forty nine ninety five. dollars uh, All right. I mean, uh, one of the things that I remember uh, distinctly, I, I was calling University of Miami basketball for a while when Leonard Hamilton uh, was taking a team uh, around a Big East. They had just gotten into the league. They were getting hammered every night. And I remember being in Providence, Rhode Island, for a game uh, against uh, Providence. And the whole town was a buzz with this basketball game. I mean, uh, if you went to go buy something at the grocery store, they were talking about, are you going to the game tonight? And, uh, you know, knew all of the details about the players and everything that might transpire. I would imagine that that's the kind of feeling that you have around Boston now, uh, especially considering that the Celtics are in a position to, uh, you know, all games are pivotal in the playoffs, but uh, this certainly would be a huge step forward for them if they can defend a home court tonight after stealing one at uh, Golden State. Uh, well, what's the feeling around town? I mean, uh, what, what's the sense that you get from being in Boston? Without question, tremendous excitement uh, out here in Boston. As you guys know, Boston is a pro-sport city, right? And we've got, I mean, anytime you even arrive into certain terminals in Logan Airport, the major airport in Boston, there's all kinds of championship banners, whether it's the Celtics, whether it's the Bruins, Boston Bruins, the Patriots, the Red Sox. So this city really rallies behind their pro sports. And so with that, you have the Boston Celtics now, kind of uh, a team that came out of nowhere as it relates to where they were early in the season struggling. Um, you know, Coach Ume uh, Adoka and his staff deserve a lot of credit. They really have done a nice job with this group. Obviously, Brad Stevens completed the roster um, and added some pieces here that makes their team as complete 
and as versatile as any team in the NBA right now with stop power. Um, and so there's a, just an unbelievable excitement here tonight. Um, and again, you know, when a lot of the, you know, people in Boston, when we think back to the Celtic great, um, you know, recognize the Larry Bird era and what went on. And then you went into the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce era. And so there's a great, great um, optimism right now amongst Boston people in terms of the Boston Celtics. I would think so. No, no, is it justified? Because uh, the Celtics, I, I think that stunned a lot of people when they won game one. They were coming off an arduous uh, series against the Miami Heat, and uh, Golden State didn't have nearly as tough a time against Memphis uh, without uh, Jean Morant in there. And, uh, you know, it, it was uh, you know looking like a situation where Golden State was in a perfect position to uh, probably take the first couple of games of the series. Celtics come out and hit them right in the face and take game number one. And then in what looked like a contentious game, too, all of a sudden they got hit with a haymaker by Mike Tyson there in the third quarter, had one of the most embarrassing quarters, if not the most, uh, from the uh, differential and score standpoint in NBA history. Uh, so so where does that leave them, uh, Scott Spinelli, in your opinion, going into this game tonight? Uh, will we see a complete change in the way this game is going to be contested from what we saw in the second half of game two? Well, this is... Yeah, I, I think to your point, this is a series of adjustments, right? And if you look at game one, Golden State came into that game saying, okay, we're going to help and try to give a lot more support um, defensively with, you know, defensively Tatum and Brown and make Horford beat us from the three-point line. And obviously, as we know, the result, he was six of eight from the three, uh, Horford was, and they lost the game. Uh, so that strategy went out the window in game two. Golden State said, okay, our adjustment this, this time around is we're going to apply incredible pressure on the basketball. We're going to close out on all of these guys and make them drive the ball as opposed to being guys who can, you know, shoot the three. Um, and it started first possession with Horford. He got the ball and, uh, Draymond Green really crowded them, got up on them, dared them to drive the ball. And then he just kind of tied them up with that physicality uh, right off the bat in first possession. And in that game, as it relates to what Golden State did strategically, not only did Horford not make a three-point shot, but he didn't even attempt one. So I think that adjustment in game two in terms of making Boston beat them from the two-point line uh, as opposed to giving them those threes uh, paid huge dividends. And obviously now going into game three, uh, the Celtics are going to have to make some adjustments on their end um, and I think if, again, looking at it from a coaching standpoint, uh, they're going to have to drive the basketball. In other words, when Golden State closes out like that, they're going to have to take advantage of what the defense gives them. They're going to have to shoot a better percentage from the two-point line because their two-point percentage was horrendous last game. And, um, and then just, just make the extra pass, whether that's playing off two feet in the paint and making an extra pass that leads to a hockey assist. Um, but they're going to have to take advantage of what the defense is doing. And uh, the other night, they were kind of stung by Golden State's incredible pressure on the ball. They did not have a lot of open threes. Coach, so you've been around the game a long time, Coach College Basketball, and now been uh, analyzing the NBA. I know you've worked with NBA players, um, analyzed them as well. The big difference in this series has really been the third quarters. I mean, the Warriors are up plus 35, or the – two third quarters, and they've done this for years now. The third quarter's really been where they sort of pull away a lot of the time. 
as a coach, how do you explain that? Like, it's not like Boston's uh, falling asleep and the Warriors are just uh, turned it on more. It's just you see them put it together in a way that Boston hasn't been able to recover from. What can you do different? What do you see Udoka and the Celtics doing differently? And what do you think the Warriors continue to do? And what are they doing in those third quarters that's such a big deal? Well, that's a great uh, point you just made. And I'm going to kind of reflect a little bit again on the coaching side of it. When you go into a locker room at halftime uh, as a coach, you usually get together with your coaching staff. When you are playing at home and now with technology, you know, even on the road, you can actually look at some of the video clips of things that worked offensively, things that didn't work, and, and at the same time, a few clips maybe on the defensive end. And I think Golden State has got it figured out, right? What they're doing is they're going in at halftime and they're making an emphasis on what worked and what didn't work and what they need to do better. But one thing about Golden State, you know, you said this, when they're coming out of the locker room in that third quarter, if you're not ready to play, if the opposition comes out and, you know, whether they're, you know, flat, whether they settle on some, some bad shots and they, you know, Golden State gets out and gets some easy baskets. Uh, Golden State is coming out of the locker room at halftime, ready to go. And to your point, um, they've done it consistently. And so if you're the Boston Celtics and you know that coming into game three, uh, there's got to be a special emphasis to get your guys and get their attention, whether that's through some clips, whether that's through another, uh, I don't know, motivational type talk to let them know that, look, you know, if we don't hit first, if we don't punch first in this third quarter and we don't come out with a back-to-the-wall mentality with a sense of urgency, there's a great chance that Golden State is going to step on us here and then we're going to have to play catch-up the rest of the game. Um, and as it relates to Golden State, again, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to, to not only the players, because they're most important, they're performing, but the coaching staff all the way through the video, um, and how they're coming out and making those, those, those adjustments or those uh, emphasizing what's working and not working at halftime. And that's a credit to the coaching staff. We were talking uh, with Scott Spinelli, of course, uh, an analyst with Nesson, and a uh, long time. I mean, uh, your associations in college basketball, uh, a, a resume and a uh, uh, list of people that you work with, uh, just absolutely incredible and, and recognized for being a great recruiter as well and uh, a guy that's able to uh, spot that diamond in the rough. Uh, one thing before we uh, get into that aspect of things, because uh, we, we've seen the emergence of uh, several players at, at different levels than we were accustomed to uh, watching them at, uh, where they've improved by uh, gargantuan proportions. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true of Wiggins, but uh, he didn't strike me as being that effective of a player, even though uh, he, he was good with uh, Minnesota prior, and his pool kind of came out of nowhere. But can, can Golden State get by? I, I have not seen a series of bricks launch like this. Uh, <laughs> as, uh, they've come off the hands of Clay Thompson since Dennis Rodman decided to become an outside scorer. Um, or, or going back to my early days of watching the Knicks and Butch Comives, uh, who was supposed to be a great shooter out of Bowling Green. But uh, can they get by with this? I mean, uh, this is uh, – it, it's not even like the guy's just missing. I mean, we're, we're talking – uh, Mason card for Clay Thompson, who uh, had been effective before this uh, and uh, seemed to be rounding into form. Well, look, I, I you know, it's, you're right. You're absolutely right in, in your observation, your analysis, and what's gone on with Clay, um, you know, during uh, the first couple games here. But look, I, I think if you look at that, there's two ways to kind of say, two ways to kind of 
look at this and say, all right, here's Clay Thompson. He hasn't shot the ball well. We know he's a guy that is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, period. He's proven that year in and year out throughout his career. Uh, and yet Golden State is at a, a 1-1 um, series tie here. But um, and now you say, okay, if Clay Thompson gets back to his form um, and he starts performing to the level that we know he can uh, and making those three-point shots, because the way Golden State plays, guys, you know, look, when they got Draymond Green out there at the five, I mean, he's like a point guard, a point five man, and he makes every right play. I mean, look, he's every bit a star in his role as Steph Curry or Clay Thompson are in theirs. And I think when you watch a team like Golden State with the spacing and the skill set, it's very difficult to match up with them. They've got tremendous movement away from the ball. Um, and again, they do what we just said the Celtics are going to have to do. They make the right basketball play uh, almost virtually almost every time in that if the team closes out and it's, it's, it's necessary for them to drive it, they'll drive it just like Steph Curry did, and he'll get his, his teammates easy baskets. Um, but again, Clay Thompson, I think you'll see him round into form in game three. I remember this, you know, being out as long as he's been out, I'm sure some of that uh, in, on, in this stage, right, this is game point mentality stage when you're playing in the NBA playoffs, specifically the finals. Um, and I think the intensity has been amped up a little too, a little too much where he has been off so long that I think he'll play catch up here. And I think he'll come into form here and really help Golden State uh, as I believe them to be. As much as I hate to say this, my heart is with the Celtics. I think Golden State is the team right now that um, it's hard to beat that championship uh, lineage right now. Well, it's interesting, Coach, because you brought up Draymond. Uh, Defoe brought up Dennis Rodman. Uh, these are two guys that not only were probably Hall of Fame players, but they're Hall of Fame agitators and instigators. And I, as a guy who was a fan of Alonzo Mourning, couldn't stand Dennis Rodman because he every time got in Alonzo Mourning's head. If you're playing against Draymond Green, I know you feel that way, but if you're playing four with them, it, I I feel like you love them because it makes it seems to make your job a little bit easier. Like it, it, he seems to be getting in Jason Tatum's head, Marcus Smart's head, Jalen Brown's head. As a coach, it, it's a fine line, right? Because he's the guy that jacks his team up. But if he goes overboard, he can get kicked out, and he was close to getting kicked out the last game, and we've seen him get kicked out before. As a coach, do you love that guy? You're frustrated by that guy. It, how much of a pain in the ass is a guy like that as a coach? And how do you get the most out of him when you need him to be that guy? Like, he's very important as a player and an instigator. But again, if he goes too far, then you don't have him. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think saying and comparing uh, Draymond Green in terms of his impact with Golden State as what Rodman did uh, back with the Pistons. And look, this was kind of the norm back in the NBA, the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, you know, it was all about guys like, you know, Dennis Rodman, uh, Draymond. Remember the, uh, we, you know, we were the, the infamous Bill Lambeer out here, uh, Boston area. Kurt Rambis is still, you know, very much hated in this area. But yeah. those guys played like that, right? And it was kind of the norm. And so as a coach, to me, I think a lot of the NBA teams, there's a couple guys in this year's draft, I won't say names, I don't want to do any, not just my opinion, that have the ability to be stars in their roles who aren't big-name guys. And I think 
Uh, you need guys like Draymond Green on your team as a coach, and you're going to have to live with some of his, like you said, you know, he might put himself in a bad position and get thrown out of the game, but make no mistake about it. His teammates feed off his energy. It's infectious amongst everybody there, uh, including the fan base, uh, and it does get under your skin. Think when you guys are playing or when you played coming up, and I know this, I'll be sitting there in a, in a men's league or something, and you're watching, and you're like, God, I can't stand playing against that guy. But then when he's Most on people. your team, I love that. I love him. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that's what we're looking at with Draymond Green. Yeah, I mean, uh, and uh, I, I guess it was always the, the chucker that you didn't really want to play with, but now that guy would be extremely valuable, especially it's if he could can somewhere around 40% uh, of his uh, bombs from uh, 35 feet. Uh, talking with Scott Spinelli, a longtime coach, and, and uh, obviously uh, now a brilliant analyst uh, with Nesson, and, and a guy who was known for being able to spot that diamond in a rough. So uh, just curious uh, you know, to get your opinion on, you know, how some of these guys just uh, arrived and you said, wait, wait a minute, who the hell is that guy? And, and he keeps doing it playoff game after playoff game. I, I'm talking about uh, uh, Poole in this particular case. Now, you're talking to a guy in Mike Louie Lubitz who was begging for the Miami Heat to take Justice Winslow over Devin Booker. And it, it never ceases to amaze us how, how the pro scouts can be so blind to these kind of players. So uh, where did Poole come from and, and how did he just, you know, sort of uh, – I don't know if he came out of nowhere so much, but uh, all of a sudden it's like, wait, wait a minute, who's this guy that's carrying the load for Golden State? And it's a guy like Poole. What is the trick to finding uh, people like that and actually have them mature and and become that type of player? Well, there are a lot of factors that go into it. And first and foremost, look, for anybody that's evaluated players, you're going to make mistakes. And what has to happen is through those mistakes, you have to learn. And fortunately, for I'm just using my my experiences. I made a lot of mistakes when I was a head prep school coach at a young age. And what I did wrong, I think again, we're seeing this quite often with college players, or excuse me, even high school kids who are five star guys who are ranked at a young age, and then you know the NBA guys, these guys who unfortunately are maybe you know politically influenced or see things differently than they should. Um, end up ranking some of these guys so high. And so you can get a lot of value in the NBA draft if you really, you know, understand the evaluation process. There's one thing that to me is very, very constant when you're evaluating uh, players at any level. Um, I think it comes down to first and foremost efficiency. I think when you watch a guy, uh, look, when you guys were playing on your respective junior high or high school teams, your coach had a system. And in that system, you had to assume a role. So oftentimes what happens is you have this one guy who that coach showcases in his system, but there are other guys that are playing within their, uh, within their limits or their boundaries or their role. They're, they're, they're filling their role, and they're more efficient in what they're doing. And sometimes I think if you could use this as an example, instead of points per game, PPGs, why not we start a statistics that says points per shot, PPS, and in that efficiency, and then how that player is used within the system, to me, is one of the most important parts of the evaluation process. And we could go on and on and on about guys in the NBA that we didn't know about. I'll start with Chris Middleton, a kid that I recruited years ago who 
everybody said was, you know, he was a kid that was too soft, wasn't athletic enough. Um, and he was playing with a kid who was a McDonald's All-American on his AU team. And, um, and today, you know, Chris is probably worth whatever he's worth. He's made a, had a tremendous NBA career. Um, but a lot of that had to do with kind of seeing past what the McDonald's All-American was doing and where you could project Chris through his efficiency. And then you also got to take in consideration his, his character, his work ethic, because in the end, these kids are the ones that do it. They have to be, they want, they have to work at it and they got to continue to get better. And Chris was one of those guys. All right. Just uh, one quick parting thought here, because he could be the number one pick overall in the NBA draft. Uh, this Holmgren cat, the skinny kid from uh, Gonzaga, more likely to uh, turn into the next Wilt or the next Mel Counts? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, here's my thing on this. I, and I think, you again, what you just said, if you look at where the NBA is today, and that is a, a league that is filled with guys who can pass, dribble, and shoot. That three-point line is is the you know the great equalizer. It's changed the entire game. When you have a kid of you know Chet Holmgren's size, uh, with his length, with his skill, with his versatility, um, not to mention the fact that best passers um, that you know is in the draft period, even as a guard, I think you have a kid that in the modern day NBA, even though he is thin, he's got to get stronger. Um, is going to be extremely successful because of the way the game is played today, the modern-day NBA. I think if you took him and you put him back in the old NBA in the 80s when you had to guard guys like Mutombo and Ewing, that, then I think you're talking a whole different ballgame. But I think Chet Holmgren, and the way the game is being played today with his skill set, uh, his versatility, um, he's just going to get stronger and better with age uh, and through his, you know, even getting older, as we know, metabolism most on, he'll put weight on. Um, I think he's going to be a fantastic, uh, maybe even a generational talent, um, you know, in terms of what he could someday come uh, turn himself into with added strength and continued work. Excellent stuff, Scott. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, looking forward to the game tonight. I, I would imagine, uh, I know your heart is definitely with the Celtics. And uh, I don't know if your inclination is to lay three and a half if you were going to uh, wager on a ball game. But um, I- I'm thinking the Celtics win also. So uh, that may jeopardize that position for sure. Thanks so much for being with us. It's always a pleasure. I hope to talk to you again uh, before the series is over because uh, it's great having you on the show. Yeah. Uh, listen, it's a lot of fun with you guys. I appreciate the time as always. Okay. Take care, guys. Thanks, Coach. All right. Thanks a lot. Scott Spinelli. Very knowledgeable guy, man. Yes, sir. It was like uh, back in the old days when you used to uh, dig up the uh, so-called dot-com schmink that nobody ever heard of, and, and uh, every now and then <laughs> we would roll on to a gem. But, uh, you know, I wasn't that familiar with Scott Spinelli, but the times that we've had him on After Hours, he, he's been brilliant and very yes. well thought out and very eloquently stated. Yeah, he's great. All of his positions on basketball and uh, very interesting stuff. All right, uh, Louie, who do you like tonight so we can, uh, you know, go ahead and uh, unify the burial? I, I believe <laughs> you're going to go Golden State. I like the Warriors, yeah. I think the Warriors, and we talked about this yesterday on our morning show, I think the Warriors found something and they realized that they can't mess around with the Celtics. The Celtics are not the yeah. Grizzlies. They're not uh, the Mavs. Like, they, they got to get ahead or they could lose a series. So I think that the Warriors will take care of business today. Now, game four, I don't know. But game three, I think the Warriors will win, and I think they'll win soundly. I believe Udoka brings in Belichick <laughs> for the, the game speech. Oh, God.
Probably does. If you couldn't dig up a Rand Auerbach, next choice would be Belichick. Yeah, exactly. he gets the Celtics motivated tonight. Uh, they find a way to win uh, a little bit of an ugly uh, contest tonight. I, I, I think they rough them up uh, even more uh, in, in this ballgame tonight and uh, enjoy the uh, home court advantage. Uh, it would be interesting, though, to see a shell-shocked Boston crowd there puking great. up their chowder as uh, they were down 14 in the second quarter. I'd love that. Uh, so looking forward to that, and uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow on the program. We, we also have the uh, Rangers still going on in the uh, National Hockey League. Uh, and, uh, wow, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, a tough out. Can't let him off the hook, as they say. I mean, this is the old Dennis Green thing. You let him off the hook. Exactly. Rangers had him by the juggler, uh, up two games to nothing, up two nothing in game number three midway through, end up losing that game 3-2, and uh, really handled last night relatively easily, and the Lightning even up that series at two apiece. So a pivotal game five and a pivotal yes. game three. And he chased for the two winter sport championships, uh, the Larry O'Brien and, of course, the fabled Stanley Cup. Luby, always a pleasure. Uh, good yes, to be back sir. with you here on uh, the uh, Believe Networks. And uh, you can catch us uh, during the uh, week, all week long, 7 to 9 live, uh, video and audio streaming on the Defo Show. Just Google the Defo Show. That's D-E-F-O. Always a heck of a lot of fun. We had Mike Westoff on today. Wrote a book, a uh, longtime coach in the NFL. And I think you guys will enjoy that segment if you go back and visit that. For Mike Luby Lubitz, I'm Jeff DeForest saying, hey, hey, until we see you tomorrow, keep in mind, people, no matter what's going on in your life, you've got to believe. Hey, folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously. Friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. All those ingredients, (laughs) no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes. Really, really good food. Amazing atmosphere. Good for a family. Good for a date or just a night out for yourself. And prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched. Steaks, hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? Play the ponies in style at Champions, the outstanding simulcasting room at beautiful Hylia Park. Yes, the grand old lady of thoroughbred racing has never been more vibrant, and you can wager on the races from the top tracks around the country while enjoying a cocktail at the Brass Rail Bar or any of the fine food served throughout the facility. If poker is your game, you're covered in style. And you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette, in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.